0: is the Enter Sad Men podcast. Every rock and metal album you should own. Reviewed, rated, and ranked.
1: Well, good evening, everybody, once again, and welcome to the Enter Sad Men podcast. Richard here, as usual, with Mark and Steve. Lovely to have your company out there around the world. So you are listening to, as you know, the only hard rock and heavy metal podcast where we review, rate, and rank rock's greatest albums and we're creating the definitive hard rock and heavy metal hall of fame which last episode actually topped the 100 albums we are episode 35 and the theme this week is the theme of health or perhaps metal health so we've all chosen albums around that theme more about that and those albums in a minute but as you know already you can get us all over where you get your podcasts. And please do visit us at www.entersadmen.co.uk where you can read the full history of everything we've reviewed. So let's get on with it. Mental Health is the theme, and the albums we've chosen well are as follows. Uh, let me go first. And immediately fever came into my head when uh, we picked the theme uh, and more specifically, Cat Scratch Fever. I've picked the Ted Nugent's classic album from the late 70s. Mark, what about your choice?
2: All right, so we fast forward 10 years to get to my album. So, um, wow, we're in a pandemic. We're in a pandemic. So what better than an album cover that has a vial of virus spilt all over it? And that is Y&T's Contagious from
3: 1987. Steve? Yeah, I, I found this hard. I couldn't... Just get my head round, round the criteria. So I had a choice of two, and I decided to. I was going to go for trepanem Pals Excess and Overdrive, industrial metal from France, circa nineteen ninety two. trepanem Powell being the bacterium that causes syphilis. But I thought I'd keep it clean, and I've gone for open up and say, Ah, oh, by Poison. <laughs> oh,
1: wonderful! So they're the three. So we've got Poison, we've got Y&T, and we've got Ted Nugent. Uh, here's a little listen. To a few tracks off of each of those three albums and a taster of what we'll be reviewing on this episode.
3: or whetted the appetite for you. Um, So, Rich, let's kick this thing off with Cat Scratch Fever from 1977 and Mr Ted Nugent, the Nuge.
0: Opening album sleeve notes.
3: Yes, yes,
1: the Nuge. Ted Nugent, i mean, crumbs, what do we say about him? Political activist, staunch Republican, hunting and gun advocate and total teetotaler. We could go on all episode (laughs) about his stories and his views, but I'd rather not. But let's focus on uh, his third sort of solo studio album uh, that he released in 1977, probably his most famous, uh, and that is Cat Scratch Fever. It was his third for the Epic record label. And in terms of uh, recording, it was recorded uh, between January and March 1977 and released in May uh, 1977. They didn't hang around back then between recording and releasing. A little over 38 minutes in length. Three producers, Lou Futterman, Tom Werman, who will appear again in this episode, and Cliff Davis, uh, recorded at uh, Columbus Studios in London and New York. And in terms of personnel, uh, well, Ted was on lead and rhythm guitar. And what a lot of people don't know was actually he only sang lead vocals on three of the tracks on this album. Uh, back then, when he was recording these uh, first few albums, he preferred to let other people do most of the singing. Uh, on this album, Derek St. Holmes, it's got to be where St. Hubbins came from, hasn't it? Did lead vocals on most of the uh, the songs. And uh, then we had Rob Grange on bass and Cliff Davis on drums. One little other piece of trivia for you was uh, on the previous album, Free For All, it wasn't Derek St. Holmes that did most of the singing, but Dear Old Meat Loaf. But for this album, uh, Derek came back, and him and Ted shared the vocal duties. In terms of how it did chart-wise, it got to 28 in the UK, 17 in the US, uh, and through mostly US sales, has done pretty well uh, over the years, and is now around three times platinum. In terms of track listing, 10 tracks. Side one's got Cat Scratch Fever, Wang Dang, Sweet, Poon Tang, Death by Misadventure, Live It Up and Homebound. And then side two contains Working Hard, Playing Hard, Sweet Sally, A Thousand Knives, Fist Fighting Son of a Gun and Out of Control. Why did I choose this? As I said, it, Fever and then Cat Scratch came instantly to mind. It's a. have it's always enjoyed this album. Uh, I wouldn't put it up as an absolute brilliant one, but it isn't a duff one. It's uh, It's pretty good fun. Uh, the cover, interestingly, shows a grimacing Ted Nugent in a sort of a full headshot. If you then open the gatefold, you see why he's grimacing, namely a woman with very long talons is is scratching them down his chest to draw blood. Boys, I don't know how well you know this album. How did you get on with it?
2: Uh, I I didn't know it particularly well, actually. Uh, for somebody who's so 70s, you know, wear bell-bottoms and and uh, afghan jackets um i think it's interesting i think you know we'll come on to it but interesting that ted nugent only sings lead vocals on tracks one two and seven at least two of those would be in the bottom half of the album for me the other observation i would make about this album is that i don't think it's as good as the two that went before it broadly speaking but i don't know it as well so that could be why. I, I enjoyed it. I think, it's, I think it's a good album. And it's, it's one of those milestone albums, isn't it? Ted Nugent is one of those names. I remember when I was first getting into this stuff, Ted Nugent was an icon. And I mean, I never quite got round to getting into it. So it's been a, a, a joy to discover him
3: this week. Dave? I, I, I shouldn't like this. Because the bloke's a Utter Bellend. But uh, can he play music? I mean, I just think, can he write music? I mean, I think it's a fantastic album. I do like the fact that Derek St. Holmes is on vocal. I think he's a brilliant vocalist. I think the album's fantastic. There's so much catchiness on here. Proper tunes, proper tempos, proper rhythms. It's a really, really solid piece of work. I have thoroughly enjoyed listening to this. I've, my foot is tapping just in anticipation of playing it one more time because that's what this does to you. There's some great rhythms going on. I think it's fantastic. Thoroughly enjoyed it.
1: Right, so the album starts with the title track, and it's got one of the most recognisable guitar riffs ever. That da, da 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 da. So yes, it's got Ted on Ted Nugent on vocals, and well, about this track, about the album, cat scratch fever is a real condition uh, where people can get an infection from a scratch of a cat. But I believe Ted's singing about a different kind of pussy it was a single it reached number 30 in the US and I don't you saw this guys it was voted the 32nd best hard rock song by VH1 which seems a bit high for me but I, it's it's a classic still love it love putting it on what about you too?
2: well for me it, it falls it's it's the song that falls into the category of I probably never need to hear it again but I think that's because it's been overplayed it appears on virtually every rock compilation you care to Throw a, a shoe at, and yeah, it's it's a it's a great song. The first time you hear it, and I, that's what I tried to do, I tried to put myself back to the first time I heard it, and I loved it. Do I need to hear it again ever? No, probably not. It's got a really nice dirty guitar, hasn't it? Really good as distortion, and and the other thing is, um obviously, yeah, he, he's a Texas boy, isn't he, Nugent? And you can hear that sort of southern blues running through it as well, which which is great and and it runs through the whole album and I, yeah it is it's, it's a it's a great song i'm just a bit bored with it now
3: i'm obviously buying different compilations to you mark because I, I wasn't that uh, as that aware of cat's trash fever as you i think it's uh I just think it's a it's superb i'm getting little elements of zz top in there not the only song on this album that's about pussy i think that's about all of them bob maybe one or two but <laughs> it is a pet subject of his isn't it of, of uncle ted's uh, very interestingly, when I was doing, um, you mentioned right at the start, Rich, about the, the fact that we're going to be touching upon the same producer twice, Tom Worman, who was also produced Open Up and Say Are, and he said that of the there were three tracks in all his massive panoply and big hits that he produced over many, many years, and he said there were three that he knew off the bat would be massive. Every Rose Has Its Thorn, Girls, 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 and... Cat Scratch Fever. OK, well, it's
1: followed by, um, I presume, a song about a Thai or a Vietnamese takeaway, I think, um, called Wang Dang Sweet Poon Tang. <laughs> um, it, it kicks off at a much, much faster tempo, real sort of machine gun blast riff to it, and, and it does uh, really chug along. Uh, but, yeah, he, is, he leaves nothing to the imagination as to what this song's about and what he's doing. Subtle it ain't. For me, personally, not as strong as the opener, but it's good fun.
2: Mark? It takes the album in a slightly different direction, doesn't it? I think that's a step up now, in terms of the energy in the album. Yeah, like I say, I, I like Cat's Don't Don't get me wrong, I like Cat's Stretch Fever. I just don't need to hear it again. Whereas Wang Dang Sweet, Poon Tang, brings a smile to my face. It's got a nice little rhythm running through it, hasn't it? And yeah, nothing wrong with it at all. A good, solid,
3: Second track for me. Steve? I think it's a cracker. A little footnote, there's a, there's a band from Atlanta called Nashville Pussy, who named themselves after te, apparently Ted Nugent's introduction to this song on his live album that came next. He said, I'd like to dedicate this to all that Nashville pussy. And the band, there's a band called Nashville Pussy on the train of that We've had one or two decent guitar solos to admire over the course of the first 30 of however many episodes of Enter Sadman, and there'll be a lot more to come. This is right up there with the very best, uh, and it's also set against an absolute foot-tapper of a backbeat again, and that combination of the backbeat, with his solos are soft and against a really, really driving backbeat. This is gold. I could listen to this solo all night.
2: And I will absolutely second that, the soloing on this. And his guitar work is just incredible. It's astonishing. So no, I no argument from me. It's um, I could sit and listen to it all night as well.
1: By fans, he's held up as a
2: real, real
1: guitar hero, isn't he? He's 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 up there. By others, thought fairly average, but it's it's spot on for the music. Track three is "Death by Misadventure." It's actually about uh, Brian Jones of the the Rolling Stones, um, who I think was found dead, is that at the bottom of a swimming pool? I think it was. And the uh, coroner's verdict was death by misadventure. Obviously, Mister Nugent doesn't uh, agree, uh, and basically, this whole song's around uh, you know, d- don't do drugs. In terms of the sound, I mean, it, it starts off with a riff that's, uh, if it helps anyone listening, a bit "Life in the Fast Lane" by the Eagles. I mean, it ca- carries on very much in that vein, isn't it? I mean, this is a, this is a this is an open top cruising song, nice sort of uh, plucked guitars. Slower tempo than track two. Um, yeah, perfectly good song for me.
2: See, it's one of my favourites. And it's one of my favourites because Nugent has let go of the vocals. So we've got davison Holmes, who is, I think, a great vocalist, um, particularly for this album. And there's quite a lot going on in this track. We've got a lot of kind of deviations and incidental moments that sort of take the song away from that. Main riff. I really like this. I think this is uh, this is a, a great song. I, you know, I would say it's up there in the sort of top three or four for me. And Davidson Holmes is a really good singer. He's absolutely perfect for this album. I think you, you never know what the other three songs would have sounded like had he been let loose on them, but probably not quite so
3: straining. Absolutely agree. I care all of that. And it's really interesting, isn't it? So we're three tracks into this album, and all three tracks are very different. But where they're all similar is that they're all driven along on a really, really impressive kind of beat and drive, and you're going with it every time. But all three are very different. There's quite a lot of sort of funkiness and hippiness going on with Death by Misadventure. Going back to what you were saying earlier about Ted Nugent and his, how he's held up in the pantheon of uh, guitarists, let's just say we've got three lead guitarists tonight. Two of them are very good.
2: <laughs> and one's a massive drug addict.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> or was. I should. Yeah. just just for the lawyers listening
1: <laughs> yeah. okay so track four is uh, Live It Up it's to Steve's point here's another completely different style now we've got what's known as the bow diddly beat or it was a hand jive this is a hand jive song and I mean it's very very yeah, jumpy it's groovy it's almost it's some shades of Latin to it there's a real break in the middle with Whistles and congas and timbale drums and hella's. What else? I, I like this one. It's uh, it, It's just a good bit of fun. It's jumpy. It's bouncy. Um, makes me smile.
2: Love this. I think this is this is great because it's it's really atmospheric and there's a sense of just energy and vibrancy about it. That you don't that, that actually don't get very much on the rest of the album. And um, St. Holmes reminds me at this point of Bob Seger a bit. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's that kind of vibe to it, which I really love. So um, you know, I like Bob Seger a lot. And this is—am I right in thinking this is one that St. Holmes wrote? Uh, yeah,
1: with, with Nugent. Yeah. So all, all of the all of the others were written by by Nugent. This one he had a, a part to play on it, and then all four of them arranged the songs. Okay, so let's finish side one then uh, with the track five, which is Homebound. <laughs> which is an instrumental, um, starts off with you know, these really long guitar notes, drums and bass then come in underneath it. It's very simple. I mean, visually, it is just driving along one of those dead straight American desert roads, uh, heading somewhere you want to be. I mean, it almost sounds like a bit of a TV theme, doesn't it? But the um, the closest I could uh, come to was, was the Rockford Files meets the Double Deckers.
3: <laughs> well that's really interesting you said that because i've got crossroads meets early top gear versus kickstart i think it's a really bad mashup I, I, I really don't like this at all i think this is just a bagpipe short of being the last dance at some pensioner's 80th on a island. <laughs> <arrival. laughs>
2: i quite like this it's all right it's, it's all right <laughs> And go wild for it. Strange way to end side
3: one, yeah. Okay, that,
1: yeah. Okay, well, let's flip over then. And uh, side two starts with track six, um, which is working hard, playing hard. Uh, starts with a really sort of fast chug on a low guitar, almost reminiscent of um, what was that, that the pulp fiction uh theme tunes? Was it was it Dick Dale and his Deltones or something like that. And then yeah, we talk a lot about the guitar work, but I mean they, they, they played really well together, didn't they, St. Holmes and Nugent, in terms of I'd be fascinated to know who's doing what to, at what point. Uh did say they sort they did swap the lead guitar around and, and rhythm, and obviously there's a there's a dual lead over the top of the chug on this one, and then it starts to get going um into a nice sort of fast main riff. Uh again. This one, obviously, he's been to the Vietnamese Takeaway. On this one, I think he's gardening, because there's lines like, I'm here to sow my wild seed. I don't want much, just what I need. So, uh, yeah, gardening song, I believe.
2: Hollywood Nights. It is, yes, it and is. De- and therefore, I love it. I wondered where I would heard it before. And St. Holmes even sounds, again, a bit like Seeger, Released in the same year, those two albums, Hollywood Nights and this. So and I just think... Yeah, it ticks boxes for me. So this probably would be my highlight on the album.
1: The track uh, seven, which is track two of Side 2, is uh, Sweet Sally, which I think illustrates uh, Ted Nugent's love of Chuck Berry because it's uh, much more sort of straight-ahead rock and roll. It's fine for me. Guitar solo's pretty decent in it, but I've not got much else to say. It's a
2: straight-ahead rock and roll number, really, for me. So I'll, I'll just say... No, really. (laughs) I just think it's lazy and poor. It's the the low light of the album.
3: I think it's very good. No, I do like it. I think it's got a nice bit of pace to it. Yeah, you're right. It is rock and roll, and there's no harm in that. And he touches on it, and he does it fast, and it's suitably, you know, smutty. And, yeah, as I said before, the bloke's a knob, but he can play the guitar, and he plays it well on this, as he does on every track, and I like it. I think it's a goodie. But not as good as the next one.
1: Ah, well... I certainly agree. It'd be interesting if Mark thinks so too.
2: Are you talking about pre-grunge grunge? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, so track eight is a track called A Thousand Knives. Again, a real shift in style. Much more atmospheric. You got grunge, did you? I I got ZZ Top.
2: Better ZZ as well, but that opening is very sort of Soundgarden, Pearl Jam for me as well.
1: I've got Beatles.
2: Music speaks to us in different ways.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I agree, Steve. I I really like this one. It rolls along really nicely. Again, fantastic guitar work throughout it as well.
3: Great. Yeah, another great tempo. It goes all Rolling Stones, doesn't it? It just hits the mark every time. But there is the odd drum roll just to break it up. And again, another unbelievably good solo. As I say, it's never just solo. It's that rhythm section behind Okay,
1: right, so track nine is uh, Revolution. Oh, no, no, Uh, it's Fist-Fighting Son of a Gun. Um, (laughs) A little bit like uh, Revolution by The Beatles. But again, we're back to a perfectly fine rock and roll song, nice little riff, some nice claps in the chorus. Yeah, again, it, it rolls along quite nicely for me, gents.
3: It's my okay. that's all it is.
2: Yeah, I feel the same way. It's all right, it's all right. Nothing wrong with it. It's not going to set the world on fire. Yeah. It's okay. Okay,
1: so uh, with not much to say about this Fighting Son of a Gun, uh, we end with track 10, which is out of control. Um, the main riff at the start did remind me a bit of a, a bit of Holy Wars by Megadeth, but um, I doubt that the songs are, are connected. Faster pace, a lot of energy, some really good guitar work again, and I think it it's a good, solid finish. Uh, not spectacular for me, but it's, you know, one you'd be quite ha- happy to listen to the album to the end for.
2: Yeah, I like this. I, I'm surprised it's at the end. It feels like a a mid-album kind of tune. You know how we're the world's leading experts on track ordering in albums. As Steve said a few episodes back, any band that wants advice on where to put their stuff, come and talk to us, because we know. We're very good at that. But, yeah, it felt like it ought to have been... This this feels to me like a sort of a, a track one side two song, but it's good. Like it, really
3: solid. Yeah, I think it's the, it's the, it's also the first time I've referenced MC Five, um, and there's there's obviously a massive geographical mm-hmm. connection anyway, given they're both from Detroit, opposite ends of the of the political scale. Um, and, I was, and I read a piece by Wayne Kramer who said so they, they had a begrudging respect for Ted Nugent because they had respect for him as a guitarist, but they obviously appreciated that. You know, it was off the rails politically, even at that stage. Um, but I, I I can see a lot of MC5 in this sort of high time. You know, it's slightly more out of control, slightly more... I just think it's great, you know. I just I just think I'm getting a bit more... I'm getting a bit more of a jam about this.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Now you've said it, you're absolutely right about MC5. Yeah, really getting that now. Okay, so there we go. Um, there's uh, track 10 of Cat Scratch Fever by Ted Nugent. Gentlemen, your highs and lows, please.
2: Which i go first. Uh, my low, I think by, by quite a way, actually, is Sweet Sally. Didn't like that much at all. A Thousand Knives or Working Hard, Playing
3: Hard. Uh, I would probably go for A Thousand Knives. Homebound is a little bollocks. Um, so that's definitely my low. And my high is Wang Dang, Sweet Poo Absolutely tremendous.
1: My low would be Sweet Sally. And um, probably a couple vying for the top, if pushed. And I'd have to drop one. I yeah, I would keep the title track. I'll, I'll go for Cat Scratch Fever. Is still my favourite on this album. There you go. We've now got the fever. We're waiting for our next infection, but we're going to have to shift another ten years uh, later to get it. We move into 1987, and Mark's choice, which is Y&T.
2: And contagious mark.
0: Opening album sleeve notes. Thank you. Yes.
2: So you might be you might have the fever, but are you contagious? That's the question. So 1987, uh, we're back with Y and T. We've done mean streak on a previous episode. This is their second visit to the Hall of Fame. So probably still haven't heard the best of them yet either. So interesting to see where this ends up. This is Y and T from the Bay Area of the United States of America. Um an album that uh, Wikipedia says was re- released on September the 5th, but I think is actually was actually released on July the 5th, because uh, it um, it peaked at number 78 in the Billboard chart late in July. So I think it was released in July, not in September, but if you know different drop of slime at ww.interstadmin.co.uk, let us know. It was recorded obviously in early nineteen eighty seven, and this was their first album for the Geffen. Label, having done the previous lot, well, not the first two, but their previous four albums, um, Earthshaker, Black Tiger, Mean Streak, uh, in Rock We Trust, five albums in Rock We Trust, and Down for the Count for a uh, and So 42 Minutes, produced by Kevin Beamish, who had a long and uh, illustrious pedigree in the genre. The Personnel, where it was the first record, first 1T album, to feature a change of lineup with Jimmy DeGrasso coming in on drums in place of Leonard Hayes, who left the band with um, what was described at the time, if I remember correctly, as personal problems, given that the credit on the back of Black Tiger credits him with drums and smoking on matters. I think it's fairly obvious what those personal problems might have been. Uh, So Jimmy DeGrasso on drums and backing vocals, Phil Kenemar on bass and backing vocals, Joey Alves on rhythm guitars and the incomparable and peerless Dave Maliketty on vocals. And the guitar St. peaks at 78 in the Billboard 200 didn't chart at all in the United Kingdom. It was a 10-track album, five on side one, five on side two, and we'll go through those shortly. I sensed a slight um, discontent in the Davis camp when I chose this because I think you started out thinking that this was their Cinderella's uh, long cold, cold winter, or whatever. Has your mind been changed this week, Steve?
3: To a degree, I have had, yeah, as you know, I have had a slight change of heart. I mean, I'm not suggesting for any minute it's a full Damascene moment because it isn't. I still say this is appreciably inferior to Mean Street, Earthshaker, and the rest from the early to mid 80s. But I have found a lot more to like in you know, it over the past week than I had before. And that's odd, but it, but it's true. The prob- Part of the problem I've had is comparing it to what Y&T did before, which you do. You just do. Uh, you try not to, but you do. It's, it's subconscious, you just do, and I have. And the other problem is that uh, you two will both understand it because we're the only Y&T fans on Earth, as you know. So we're the ones that are out of kilter with the rest of humanity for some daft reason. Um, so I'll be, will I be scoring these tracks against other Y&T tracks that I love and love and you know, would, would take to my grave with? Again, I shouldn't. Yes, I probably will. So I've got all that swimming around in my mind. It's an improvement on Down for the Count, as I'm sure you'll come to, um, which was the album before, which I kind of liked in bits. There's two or three very good tracks. Obviously, Summertime Girls is one you'd always remember, and I like um, any time at all, um, and I even like Hands of Time. I, I don't, the stuff on there I like, but the stuff on here I like. There are one or two good moments on here. There's one, there's one track on here that is out of this world, and it was out of this world when I bought it, but there's also an awful lot of seriously average efforts on here, and one utter bummer that still leaves a really bad taste. The problem, the, the problem is that, and you'll come to it, is that this is a wine t that I don't recognise. This is a wine t chasing commercial success in a way they hadn't done before. I'm sure they wanted to make money, but this is a different. This is elevating that process they're being shoehorned, I think, into a direction I'm not even sure they really desperately wanted to go. So you get the baggage that comes with that, bear in mind where we are. Do You get the splashes of the synths um, and the keyboards. You get the, hey, let's party lyrics, which they did from time to time, nowhere near as much as they do on this. Some saccharine choral bits that wasn't them. Precision in everything. And that wasn't them. They were raw. You know, they had a soul and a spirit. They were just more rustic than they were... And here here I am again comparing it to an area I probably shouldn't be doing, because I'm doing I'm doing them a disservice because I'd need to be listening to the album for what it is. In conclusion, and that's a long way of saying, it's a very mixed bag. And Y and C never used to do mixed bags.
1: Richard? I think mixed bag is a good way of putting it. I was reading up about this album and them signing to Geffen and I mean this is nineteen eighty-seven. And so, well, I mean, Geffen have got Guns N' Roses. The 1987, I think, was when Aerosmith were reinvented with Permanent Vacation. Uh, again, that was on Geffen, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, and so the stories I've read around the, the hope for, for this to be the real launch pad for Y&T as well. And they had help with songwriting. They had obviously help with arrangements and producing. And where have we heard this before? on this podcast about albums that are almost corporately created. I would have loved if that, that it had been successful and they got all the recognition that they deserved. But I think there's some real misfires on here. And for me, it's quite a few tracks in before I hear a track and I thought, yeah, actually, that's y and I agree with you, Steve. It's, it, it's not proper, genuine Y&T.
2: So as I said to you in a WhatsApp earlier in the week, I think on one thing that I've learned on this podcast is we, we have to be brave enough to be honest about the bands we love. And I absolutely agree with both of you because it is a mixed bag. If you rewind it, just a, a short year, you've got Desmond Child writing, co-writing Slippery Wet with Bon Jovi. It was very much on trend to have outside help, particularly for bands that were thought to be commercially viable. Geffen would certainly have signed them on the basis that they felt they could turn them into a stadium band. And this is the stadium album that Y&T wanted. Well, did they want to make it? You have to say they did. I think it's telling that even today you won't hear any of these songs in a Y&T live set. And I think that says quite a lot, doesn't it? So the album um, starts uh, with the title track. My view of this album, and this track in particular, is absolutely coloured by the circumstances in which I first heard it, which was different to the circumstances in which you two first heard it. So I was privileged to be able to hear this album as my cousin was driving us down Ocean Drive to Venice Beach in uh, LA. And there's nothing quite like a California highway next to the sea with the sun beating down to make this sound absolutely fucking brilliant. <laughs> um, it's got a massive hook line in it. I mean, Menachetti's voice, I don't think he's ever really sounded better in many ways. It's got all of the harmonies going on. And every time I hear this track, I am back in that car. And so I'm completely biased. So I need you to add some reality to the conversation.
3: I can do that in spade loads. I mean, this is definitely 1987. You, you could, it just seems <laughs> 1987, and the freshness and the rawness of Y&T is gone. But as you made that point, you will never lose that Meniketti voice. And throughout this album, throughout all the ups and the downs and the peaks and the troughs, the Menachetti voice rules, um, and the Menachetti guitar playing, and it and it does. But yeah, this is just this is slicker, bigger more sanitised. The one quote I did see from Menichetti, he says Taylor, as in Taylor Rhodes, who was one of the co-writers on this, I'm guessing, Taylor and I got together and wrote Contagious. He came up with some of the stuff on Contagious that I personally would not have written, but it was just a sign of the times. And I think that quote probably sums up the album from Menichetti's perspective. Yeah, Contagious, it's not a great start. Not much else to add.
1: Agree about the guitar, great voice, superb solo, But yeah, too Bon Jovi to me, and I can't really get past that.
2: (laughs) Okay, so second track uh, is "La Rocks." Yeah, um, again, all coloured by the circumstances. But when you listen to it in the cold light of day, this is not a great second step through the album, is it? Um, Are you going to lift the the needle off it? No, probably not. Is that because You're always quite happy listening to Dave Minichessi and his guitar. Probably, if we're being honest. They had to rename this. Originally, it was called Boy's Night Out, and uh, they were forced to change it. I've never, never particularly liked this song. It's It always feels a bit saccharine and popcorn-y. And like all y T albums, I loved it the first time I heard it. You kind of row back or forward from that, don't you, really? And some you rode back on. And some you wrote forward on, and this one I wrote back on. I
1: prefer it to the opener. Yeah, me too. <laughs> it's Heaven's on Fire with the harmonies. It, it, it's, it's Kiss. The song, hadn't, I don't know, the, song, the song hadn't been written then, but uh, I, I've got, in terms of a description of what this song's about, it, it's Heaven's on Fire meets A Little Late Enough by David Lee Ross. Look, crashing DLR and Kiss together for a, for a good, fun song. I, I quite like this I do like it.
3: I like it as well. I, I think it's um I think it's a good sort of mid-paced thunder. I, I do think it's an improvement on the first. You know. Um I'm sure he said come here girls before in some other track wasn't it summertime girls. Yeah. Anyway. And he and he does his little found myself in the doorway bit towards the back end which is all a bit pointless. Um but it bows out in style. When you said where you were I just thought this tr- this track is a is a top down let's drive chorus LA rocks. I can see why you given the circumstances in which you first heard it this would this would be this is fodder fodder for the california sun
2: so la rocks gives way to track 3 which is sensation and do we get i wonder just a little insights into the next album down the pipe because this would not seem out of place on 10 in my book
3: yeah this is definitely more more 10 lovers than forever yeah definitely I, I, this is quite interesting because th- th- this band, as we know, has got this phenomenal reputation for these heart-tugging—I uh, was, I was going to use the word ballads—not heart-tugging, slower-paced songs which fire up. And this starts so well. This starts in a vein that we know about with Wine. Tea, it's brilliant. You know, it, it does start. one well. and Menaketti's voice—it's there, the soul, the pain—it's beautiful. And it builds and it builds and it builds, and then pop—the chorus—and you think, fucking, how lame is that? How- how how untempting is the word temptation? It's just so naff. Seriously naff. Ruined ruined what could be a really good wine team moment. And I agree with you entirely. It would it would sit snugly on ten. Yes, it doesn't
1: do that much for me. Yeah, the chorus probably in part to blame. Um the other band to mix to put in the mix on this one is Def Leopard. It's got this real Def Leopard High Harmonies in it, which I don't know. I don't think it really suit suits t
2: No, I agree with you. I, I, I was getting a bit of hysteria around this as well. Released the same year, of course. Mm. But anyway, we can leave the temptation because we we don't need to succumb to the temptation because Steve's going to talk us through the best track on the album now.
3: <laughs> wow. Well, what, what are they doing with The Kid Goes Crazy? They're trying to go all barroom boogie or down and dirty, and and it just does not work. It's almost cringe worthy. There's an energetic riff running through this, which is <laughs> you kind of feel okay, but is out of control on his vocals. The chorus is so naff. The lyrics are laughable. Just mistake. File it under M for mistake, or B for bollocks. It's up to you.
1: <laughs> I'm amazed you didn't mention it, Steve. This, I mean, I'm presuming because they were both under the Warner umbrella. That's why they weren't sued by Van Halen for completely <laughs> ripping off Hot For Teacher. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, the less said about this trait, the better, I think. The problem with this album is exactly the same problem with the, that I had with the Vixen album, which is there are too many cooks in it. Hmm. If they had left... Well, if they'd left Melichetti to write the album... Chance would have had a much better album that would have been even less commercially successful than this was but people loved it more. So I get what Geffen were doing but they put yeah you know there was there were just too many too many people involved. This is not good. Let's not dwell on it and put ourselves through the misery. Let's uh let's go to one that I actually really do like which is Fight for Your Life. It again it's um it's a very kind of to be honest, you could have, I, I could have heard this on Mean Street. It's got a real that real atmospheric build. Starts off with the kind of bit of an acoustic guitar, there's a bit of keyboards in there, which kind of you can ignore a bit, mm. and it's got just a cracking chorus, mm. cracking hook no line.
1: Yeah, after after Bon Jovi, Van Halen, Def Leppard, Kiss, <laughs> and whoever else, suddenly Y&T are on the album. <laughs> <laughs> At last, hello, boys. Lovely to see you. Best riff so far, I think, and his vocals a proper belting Menichetti vocal. That's what you want. So, yeah, best song on the album so far by quite a distance for me.
3: Nothing trumps it either. When I first heard this, when you first played with this, Mark, I just absolutely fell in love with it, and I've been in love with it ever since. It would be on, uh, 20-track greatest hits collection for me. It would be on a short list for top 10 Y&T tracks. That's how good it is. It's a 10 out of 10 track. I just think it's so good. I, I was definitely think it's more in Rock We Trust than Mean Street, but it is a rock and roll's going to save the world kind of song. I just think it, it could have opened this album up just dynamite, utter dynamite. So much power, so much emotion, classic Manichetti, track of the album, move on.
2: How much do we read into the fact that this is the first track on the album that is written by Kenmore, Alves and Menachete, the holy trinity of y and It says it
3: all. It absolutely says it all.
2: Yeah. So basically, the real y and is still here. and Faith is restored. I think that's where we've got to. So we'll flip the album over at this point and hope that it continues in the same vein with Armed and Dangerous. And sadly, it doesn't, <laughs> yeah. does it really? It's a step up from some of what was on side one. It's a step down from Fight For Your Life. I quite like it. I don't I don't dislike this track, but it, it's another big slice of pop rock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a nice little chuggy riff running underneath it. Many kisses on point, as always, apart from It Goes Crazy. Um, and you've got these kind of breathy vocals behind it, which is all a bit Bon Jovi, but... I don't mind it. It's a good enough listen. You're not going to turn the record off at this point.
1: Yeah, perfectly fine. Inoffensive.
3: Not a lot else to say. Nice dual guitar riff. Good solo again. <laughs> nah, no, there is a good solo. You're right. And there's a couple of points in there. I thought it was going to launch into Midnight in Tokyo. The chorus is about as far removed from Y&T chorus, and it's getting worse and worse. It's getting about as far removed from Y&T chorus as you'll get. And that's what dawned on me about this point, certainly with this song. But they are, and you, you know, you've listed them all. They are starting to sound like a lot of other bands, <laughs> you know. They just are. It's and that's about the cruelest insult you could chuck at Y and T, because they're just such an inspirational and influential band. And now they're just playing the game.
2: Is that Beamish? Is that Menichetti? Is that Geffen? Rhetorical question. I'm not expecting to have the answer. Who is responsible for this? That's the that's
3: the big question, isn't it? There's a thought team here, isn't there? That's all, and it's um, they've been they've been swallowed up by the team.
2: Yeah, and, and do you know what? They're complicit, aren't they? Because yeah. that this is what they wanted. Yeah, this is what they wanted. If they hadn't wanted this, they'd have stayed with A M, You know. Um, okay, Steve's going to disagree with this, but the next track is my track of the album. I've always loved "Rhythm or Not." Absolutely belting song. I saw I've seen it played live a couple of times, and it. Yeah, you know the place goes mental for it. Uh, it's got this absolutely relentless, brutal, all-out guitar attack and a, a hooky chorus. It's got a, it's got some really well. I'm quite puerile, so I would think this is clever. It's got some clever lyrics in it. I think it's the first time I ever heard Defries go with that shake. Yeah. I thought, I was... Hey man, hey man, look at those timbales. Did he say that? Did he say yeah. that? Yeah. So the prude in the group is going to go all down and dirty on us in a minute. I realise that. But I absolutely love this track. It's my track of the album.
3: No, listen, I, I, get, I get all of that. And had Fight For Your Life not been on this album, this would have been my favourite track of the album as well, because it's, yeah, it's my second favourite. Big riff, catchy chorus, decent tune. Again, some more Bon Jovi flourishes, but I'm forgiving them that now. What I love about this, there's a really nice bit midway through when there's a kind of real sort of dirty girl change of tempo all nice and yeah. cool. It's really cool, and we've not really had much. And then it picks up the way Meniketti does pick those tracks up. And yeah, so you know there's going to be a big finish, and there is, and it's good. I like it. Not
1: much to add, gents. I agree with everything you said. Uh, I like good crunching riff. Yeah, I love that break towards the end. And then it te- all takes off again. Good fun.
2: Yeah. So, strangely enough, boys, this track was written by Alves, Kenamore, and Meniketti. <laughs> And unfortunately, the next train, the next track wasn't written by Alves Kenmore and Manichetti because the midpoint through side two is bodily Hump, which, having said all of that, I quite like. Uh, I find it quite catchy, in the right mood. It, it's, uh, oh, it's It's pretty good if I'm in the mood for it, but it's a step down for me from Rhythm or Not.
3: No, not much for me. I mean, more non Y&T gang chorals that I don't like. Sounds like a lot of ideas chucked into a pot. None of it quite worked. So they made it track eight. Yeah, no, don't get it. Not not decent. It's alright. It's okay. Uh, I what what can I say
1: about it? I like the bass riff. Really good guitar again. Dave's vo- Dave Dave vocals again. Superb. Totally with Steve on. They're really overplaying the super-duper multi-layered harmonies. But it, it's, it's OK. Uh,
2: we haven't mentioned Jimmy DeGrasso, New, new Boy on the block. The, the drums feel to me to be quite low in the mix.
1: The drums are there, but they didn't jump out at me the way that Hayes do on other YMT albums, where they actually make me stand up and think, oh, oh yeah, that, I'd like to learn how to do that.
2: Um, track nine... On the album is Eyes of a Stranger, which I really like. I actually, I know it's another bit of popcorn, but I really like it. I think it's got a nice hooky chorus, builds a bit, nice chugging slow riff. It's dirty and sleazy, which I quite like. And I know that I know Richard that Dave and the boys should rise above that, but I quite like it. <laughs> yeah,
1: this is a, okay. It's good riff. I like. Lo- I do like the slower tempo. With any song called Eyes of a Stranger, I think there's you can only sing the chorus one way. Yes, <laughs> So you're kind of in a bit of a, cu- a chorus cul-de-sac. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. hey ho, it's it's all right. Yeah, it's, it's actually a, a, it's a step up again for me after Bodily
3: Hum. And they sang the chorus on the previous album called Face Like an Angel. Who knew?
2: <laughs> it does, doesn't it? I hadn't thought about that. You're absolutely right. You can sing Face Like an Angel to it. Brilliant. <laughs> okay. So, now, before we move on, I have to say that Y&T are the absolute kings of the album closer. I don't think there is a band that has ever been that doesn't do an album closer as well as they do, okay? Unfortunately, it's not <laughs> on this earth, Um because it is Our Cry For You, which is an instrumental... And I don't know, have you two heard Dave Minichetti's solo album on the blues side? I've certainly got it. I like it. Nice blues album. This would be magnificent on that. It's less than magnificent on this, in my view. Beautiful guitar work. Absolutely nothing to complain about in terms of the technical ability of the musician. It's just, it's not a YT album closer.
3: It just sticks out, doesn't it?
2: Okay, Anything to add, Steve, or are we done?
3: No, I just don't get it. I'm nodding off here. I'm just, I'm just, why?
2: You know what it makes me think? And, and I think this is the measure of this. Is it makes me think, is that the very best that they had left? Is that how poor the session was that they didn't have a better song to put on the album? Mm. Maybe it was just that, that Menachesi thought, do you know what? It's a beautiful piece of music and we'll just close the album out with it. I don't know. I don't know. Like you guys, I don't get it. I don't get it at all. So anyway, let's um, let's talk about highs and lows. I think, I think it's been fairly obvious through the discussion where we are. But, Steve, um, I think I know where you're going, but articulate it.
3: Well, I mean, you know, I'll cry for you gives it a run for its money, but I've got to say Kid Goes Crazy. It's just horrible. It's just a horror show. But thank Christ for Fight for Your Life. Because uh, like you, um, I think... Rhythm or Not is an outstanding track, but I think Fight for Your Life is absolute class apart. You Richard? Should... Ditto for both. Yeah, I completely agree with Steve.
1: Kid Goes Crazy, God awful, Fight for Your Life, brilliant.
2: Okay, so we're all agreed on the low point of the album, which is Kid Goes Crazy. I am going to take an alternative view on the top track, probably not by much, but it is for me, always has been Rhythm or Not, because by God, look at those Timbales. Okay, so we are two albums down. That leaves one to go. And if we thought Y&T threw up an interesting debate, then that's probably nothing compared to Poison's sophomore effort following Look What The Cat Dragged In. It is open up and say, ah, oh, which is
0: Steve's choice, Steve.
3: Justify yourself.
0: Opening album sleeve notes.
3: <laughs> yeah, and we've now got to make the same kind of call cool that I struggled with on Contagious, which is trying not to compare it to what went before, because obviously their debut album, as anyone knows, Look What The Cat Dragged In, I thought was a piece of uh, glam gold, absolute glam gold. They never quite got to those heights again. So, yeah, this is Poison. Open up and say, "Ah, oh, their second album. The band was formed, I'll just say because I like it, they were formed in 1983 in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. What's, what a name that is. Could you? I mean... <laughs> Brett Sitchak and Richard Ream were the childhood pals, formed a band with Robert Heikendahl and Matt Smith, moved to LA, Smith, Smith left. They recruited a chap by the name of Bruce Johannesson, and before you know it, Sitchak, Reem, Heikendahl and Johannesson, or Michaels, Rocket, Dahl and DeVille, became poison. Trawled the strip, looking for gigs, but quite the noise, had the look. Look what the cat dragged in, was awesome. Then they went back into the studio, and we got this, which is Open Up and Say Ah, released on May the third, nineteen eighty-eight, on Enigma Records. It's thirty-six minutes long. Tom Werman was uh, behind the decks as he was earlier with Ted Nugent. Conway Studios in Los Angeles, as I say, Brett Michaels on vocals, Cece DeVille on lead guitars, Bobby Daw on bass and backing vocals, Ricky Rocket on drums and backing vocals. It made number two in the US and number eighteen in the UK, multi-platinum over there whatever our metal equivalent is over here, many times over. Um, Ten tracks, five on each side. I I am kind of glad I chose it because it's an album which I've not bothered with for years on the grounds that I didn't actually like it that much and it was always a kind of poor relation of, of look what the cat dragged in, which was, by any measure, a special debut. It puts a smile on my face. But this puts a smile on my face too, just not always for the right reasons. What I would say is there are one or two very good moments on this and a lot to like and i'm glad i've gone back and revisited it because one or two of the tracks that i knew i didn't like i've come out of left field a little bit more and yes every rose i'm looking at you but it's a million miles short of of the swagger and the kind of brashness that look what the cat dragged this this just looks like a bunch who hey listen what do i know just look at the sales figures you know what do i know but this just looks like a, like a group who are now kind of... If I was going to use a sexual metaphor, look what the cat dragged in. They're just four young boys gone to a party and they're after a fumble and they're all a bit coy and shy. I open up and say, ah, oh, they're just driving round LA with their cocks hanging out saying, come on, suck on this. They are just so arrogant and full of themselves and confident. And the problem is there's a fine line between confidence and arrogance. And I would humbly suggest that they just, they're at a point, them and the record company, where they just think they can shunt out any old shit and it will sell. And you know what? That's exactly what happened. Before you boys come in, one star review from, I'm not a big fan of Rolling Stone. They said, it's a nasty reminder of what can happen when swagger takes precedence over substance. And they're pretty much spot on. What do you boys think?
1: It's been a funny week. (laughs) The album's really grown on me. I think it's interesting what you say it is clearly a step up commercially and professionally from their opener i think it's still great fun if rolling stone are looking for substance they ain't going to find it here no and i actually think this is a more accomplished album because i went back and had another listen or two to cat dragged in and i've really enjoyed it
3: what to the, to the point where you would say this is this is a better listen than than cat <sighs>
1: Right now, if you, if you ask me to keep one and throw it away, right now, as we speak, I would
3: keep this one. OK, because I was going to ask the pair of you, and this is an impossible question, so I'll ask it anyway. What would, what would you have thought of this album had you not heard look, what the cat dragged in? Which is a very difficult thing to say. I actually, and I've tried to think that myself, because I think there's an awful lot of catchiness on here. There's some good stuff.
1: Yeah, we've reviewed Faster Pussycat, we've reviewed Britney Fox, we've reviewed Motley Crue. For me, this album puts them well on the way to being up towards the crew level and they pull away from all of the other fairly average glam metal bands.
3: Wow. Well, I'll tell you what, Mark, I, th- I mean, I thought I thought my view of them had improved a little bit over the week, but not to that extent. Where are you on this?
2: <laughs> right. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm just on the phone to Nurse Ratchet because somebody needs a fucking lobotomy. <laughs> what are you talking about? Seriously? Seriously? <laughs> this is so, for me, uh, respect for your opinion? Absolutely, of course. I don't dislike this album. I think it's a lazy album. I think it's a lazy album. You you, you said, Steve, what do I know? Look at the sales, okay? I, I, I haven't looked up what um, Catra didn't sold this sold 5 million copies in the us okay so what happens that this is this is almost it's not unique because it's also the same with movies but you you go out and you buy look what the cat dragged in and you go that's fucking brilliant so when open up comes out you've got an enormous number of people going this is the band that did look what the cat dragged in i'm going to go out and buy that because that one was really good so this one's going to be really good Flesh and Blood, which was the next album, if you ignore the live one, Flesh and Blood sold 3 million copies. Now, what happens is, when you get to album 2, thinking that it's going to be like album 1, and you discover that it's not, you're less inclined to go out and buy album 3. And I think that's what's happened. Because th- there's some stuff on here that was being played live 18 months before, or two years before this album's recordings there's some stuff which is really good which is a hangover from clearly from the sessions that were done for what the cat dragged in there's some stuff on here that i admit i have kind of i came to it kind of slightly wincing thinking god this is going to be painful every rose has its thorn which i feel very grubby about But i absolutely loved staying along to it every time it came on um and then there's some utter there's a there there are Three, four, maybe even five utter shit shows on this album, in my, in my view, compared to what went before. And I actually think this is a shit sandwich. I think Cat Dragged In is absolutely brilliant. I'm with you, Steve. I think it's an absolute piece of, of glam gold. A, an almost perfect album by some measures. Flesh and Blood was a much more grown-up album. I really liked it. I thought it the, the songwriting was better. I thought the musicianship was a lot better. And I thought it was a much more cheer album. This is for me a Cinderella moment. Really interesting.
1: I mean, you two are you two are much much bigger Poison fans than me, right? I've, I've I've never I I never really got into Poison. You and I know you two both love Cat Dragged In, um, so I really am coming at this from okay. Here's here's a band I you know I, I know I know a few of the songs off of the first album. I knew a few of the songs off of this album. Uh, it's going to be really interesting when we review. Their debut.
2: What I would say is to answer Steve's question or not answer it, but to reference it. If this had been their debut album, I'd have thought this is a pretty bloody good effort.
3: Probably. Yeah, I thought I thought you would. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah.
3: I yeah. see. I'm not as big a fan of Flesh and Blood as you. I mean, but maybe I now need to go and listen to Unskinny Bop and see something I've never seen before. I don't know. <laughs> you you, you know,
2: Unskinny Bop is is the exception that proves the rule of Flesh and Blood.
3: <laughs> right enough about other albums well after that little discussion I'm really kind of curious to know where the fault lines come with our scoring because I sense no unanimity whatsoever it'll be really really interesting Um, so yeah 10 tracks 5 on each side and side A kicks off with Love on the Rocks um, which is it's not far off as good as pretty much anything on this album it's a a really nice little groover um, to roll us into the album it's a it's as sleazy as you'd expect from Poison. It's, there's a fantastic guitar line running through it. And using the word fantastic and guitar in the same sentence, when associated with C.C. DeVille, isn't often done. Great sing-along chorus, really good sing-along chorus. Yeah, this, is this to me, is Poison carrying on where they left off from the previous album. I think it's, uh, it's a really good opener.
2: Uh, I'm not sure I'd go as far as to say that, actually. I think this almost throws a head to flesh and blood. It's got that it's got a much more sort of I don't know, grown up feel to it than than cat dragged in. So I, I think it's a really good opening. And I was I was I remember when I first heard this album being quite encouraged at this point that all was going to be well.
3: Yeah. I'm absolutely with you on that, definitely. Um same about track two. But anyway, let's finish off with track one first of all. Rich. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think it's a really good opener. Really like the riff for this and the ringing chords. For me, this is a a statement of the now, not the past or the future, but actually, right. This is where we're at now. We've arrived. This this is what it's about. Uh, so it's got all the classic poison ingredients, but it's more polished. It's more punchy. Good sound. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I agree. And it goes into one of four singles off the album, Nothing But A Good Time. Um, well, I don't think this has aged very well at all. <laughs> I, I, I don't remember liking it an awful lot in 88, and um, I don't particularly like it now, I must admit. I, I, Brett Michaels' voice was always quite irritating. I find it even more irritating now, and I don't quite know why that should be, but I do. So it's got a nice beat. Um, oh, well, listen, everyone knows nothing but a good time, I think reached number 35 in the UK, top 10 hit in the US. Apparently DeVille had the riff, Michael's the lyrics. Michael's after it was after a kick-ass, big arena rock song. Well, he got the big arena rock song. Not sure about the kick-ass bit, but there you go. That's my view. Nothing but a good time. Richard?
1: A lot weaker than the opener. Uh, everyone knows the track. Um, it's fun. It's sing-along. I'm interested, guys, because I would say the writing, the nothing but a good time term, its arrangement and the style is actually closer to the opening album. So I'm surprised you don't both love it.
2: <laughs> I think I'll probably agree with that, actually. Rich. I think it is closer to the first album. Um, yeah, I, I agree with that. I just think if this had been on the first album, it, it would have been down the bottom of my list, not near the top, <laughs> probably.
3: And um, I guess the other point is, of course, that th- there's not much off look what the cat dragged in that people know and this has been just hideously overplayed as well so it's it's got boring by 1990 so you know by 2021 i'm you know tired as hell it. um but anyway luckily we go into well another redeemer um in, in back to the rocking horse they could write a song these boys they could write a song not always complicated songs but they could write songs and this is this is fairly lightweight again those really nice choral harmonies that Poison did so well, they still sound as good as they did from the first album. And, uh, yeah, I'll write this. I'll write back to the rock. I think it's a good song.
1: It's very catchy. Quite Hanoi Roxy, I thought.
3: Yeah, I get that. Yeah, which which was even more of a badge of honour. Well done.
2: <laughs> no. this No. No. Okay. This is just horrible, horrible song. This is This is like... This is the kind of the equivalent of me bringing home my very first Join the Dots book. It's like they've gone, oh, we'll just join up these dots for a. Yeah, that works. That's a nice song. Yeah, we put that on the oven. No, this is awful. Sorry. It's so catchy. So is Syphilis.
3: (laughs) So from Syphilis to, sorry, from Back to the Rocking Horse to Good Love um track four mr brett michaels on harmonica ladies and gentlemen or at least that's what wikipedia says it's not actually true tom werner who i believe far more than wikipedia says he brought in willie nelson's harmonica player for this so there you go i like this a lot again it's a catchy song it's what it is it's it's bubblegum party rock few bands did this quite as well as them uh it's it's i was going to say it's an art form <laughs> Um, and he still had to get it right. And, and, and Poison, let's face it, they knew their audience. They knew their limitations, of which there were plenty. One of them carried six strings. But they sounded good. This works. Good love works. I like it.
2: No, so do I. It's all right, this. It's got a nice catchy riff, good catchy chorus. I quite like C.C. Deville's guitar work on this thing. It's nicely understated. <laughs> yeah. This, for me, is more like the the debut album than the opener, actually, I think. Anyway, we're not reviewing the opening album, we're reviewing this one. And uh, this this ticks a box. This is all right. I like this.
1: Yes, I like it. It's quite a combination of songs, isn't it? So it's got uh, the riff from Led Zepp's Custard Pie. It's essentially yes, yes. a riff off of Fade Away by the Stones, played by the Black Crows. <laughs>
3: <laughs> wow, that's, that's quite the cocktail, isn't it? But it's, it's good. It's good. Good love. But what isn't good is the track that closes outside one, tearing down the walls, not bothered about it. It's not an offensive song by any stretch. Fairly ab- standard riff. Quickly de- descends into something really, really unmemorable. I've got, I've got very little to say about it. It just doesn't bother me. Never did. Doesn't now. Any glowing praise from either of you two? <laughs>
2: no 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 um no but my my big problem with this album is I just think it's lazy I think it's it is music by numbers it's it's written to a formula and I think it falls short and this just feels like an album all the way through that just falls short all the time and that's that's my I don't dislike it I find it disappointing does that make sense
3: yeah and and, I've, and I said at the start I do think I do think there's an element of laziness about this. I think they knew, they knew their market, and they knew their market was going to lap them up whatever they chucked out there. So therefore, they just chucked out anything they could, really. I still think they've done it generally OK. Anyway, Rich, tearing down the walls.
1: I like it. Uh, I actually think there's a variety in the songwriting. I think it's more mature. Uh, it was one of those that grew on me. Um, I think it brought them nearer to Motley Crue. I like the heavier riff in it. I read that they weren't expecting to have as much time in the studio and as much space to create uh, this album as they did. So I'm not sure if there's a, they just thought thought they just trot out the same old stuff. I'm not getting what you two hearing at all. I think they were still trying. Uh, and I, I think Tearing Down the walls is a good finish to side one.
3: Yeah, they couldn't, they couldn't believe the budget, could they? They were just astonished with how much money that they were, they were, was being chucked at them to, to yeah. go and do the album. Yeah, no, I get that. But they were also, of course, battling the fact that w- one member of the band was um, all over the place on drugs, which didn't help. But fortunately, if you flip the album, you come to side two, track one, which I thought they couldn't beat... Talk Dirty to Me, but I come down close with Look That You Can't Touch. Proper dirt under the fingernails Rock this. Great tempo changes in this as well. If everything seemed kind of a little bit same, there's, a, there's definitely a bit of edge in here. Better written. Uh, oh, such a good song. Such a good song. Liked it back in the day. Still think it's great now.
2: Yeah, uh, absolutely. This has always been my favourite track on the album. It's still on every single playlist on spotify that i've got i just think it's got a fabulous riff it's got i think it's it's a really funny story that they're telling misogynistic in all in every single way and you would never get away with it now but i kind of like it and um yeah great guitar riff great kind of vibe about it loads of fun um and it's kind of got that it's kind of got that barroom boogie twist in the narrative at the end as well so yeah Absolutely love it.
1: Richard? Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's not as good as you two think it is. Uh, <laughs> it's a classic sing-along side. Brilliant story. I love that he's not taking himself seriously at all. Brings a big smile to your face. But there are more mature, better quality tracks elsewhere on this album.
2: I don't care about better quality, mature. Just, just made me laugh and make me bang my head.
3: Box hits thank you very much what well, how about um make you put the car top down hit the road and just sing along to fallen angel because that's next and i've always loved this this was the second single off the album didn't do well over here at all uh number 12 in the states uh in fact it was the weakest performing of all the four singles off the album i, mean, oh, I love this it's just reeks of summer it's Classic Poison. This is, interestingly, this is the one that appears on more of my Spotify playlists than any other of their songs. Spot on, sing-along chorus to die for. Just great. Just a happy July song. I love the chorus. It's such a sing-along, such a big sing-along chorus to...
2: Mark? Yeah, I really like this. I think it's of its time, isn't it? It's It fits that late 80s, big hair... Big sun, big sea, big California stuff. Love it. Yeah, it's really good. Bounces along, and you're right. You can't you can't help but sing it. And it's it's two in a row, isn't it? That you can't help but sing on this album
3: side too. Yeah, exactly. Um, we haven't actually talked about the uh, the engine room, Bobby Doll and Ricky Rocket. So there we go. We've just talked about them. So let's move on. You know, it's, they do a job, don't they? Um, and so, well, Brett Michaels' size and tens of millions of doe eyed girls around the world either melt or wet their knickers or both. Um, because it is, of course, every rose has its thorn. Not the worst ballad ever written, certainly not the best. Um, but I- I've actually enjoyed, I've enjoyed revisiting, I've enjoyed re listening. To this more than I thought I would, I have to say, but it's just not as awful as I remember.
2: It's not only not as bad as you remember; it's about a thousand times better than you remember. Yeah, and, and I feel so grubby saying it. <laughs> but I, when you talk about you talk about songs going on you. I I, I I was kind of wincing when we got to this point in the album, and. I have to say, it, is my, it has been my guilty pleasure this week. I've absolutely loved it. Absolutely loved it.
1: Yeah, nothing more to say. It's yeah, not as bad as it seems, I've got in my first line of my notes. And as these kinds of songs go, <laughs> it's, yeah, good fun to listen to, isn't it? Yeah.
3: It is that, yeah. Brett, my- Brett Michaels came into the studio, apparently, and had the tune in his mind started playing it on a guitar, and Worman just said, he said it started off as a country song. It just sounded like a country song, played on a single six string. And he said, yeah, all right, Brett, just leave that to me, orchestrated the shit out of it, and just turned it into this absolute monster. And according to Ricky Rocket, um, the record company had doubts about it, saying it wasn't a poison song, and that because they had 12 tracks originally for this album, it was going to be one of the two that was discarded. Um, and yet releases a single it's their one and only number one US single Um, so they call it right no two ways about that and yeah as Mark says it's it's a guilty pleasure it is a guilty pleasure but just not for long let's move on your mama don't dance talking of guilty they should be charged for this because your mama don't dance if you're going to cover a Kenny Loggins song make it Footloose for fuck's sake (laughs) (laughs) I <laughs> oh, don't oh, you boys talk about it I think it's terrible
2: this is an utter fucking shit show this is this is just a, they've broken all kinds of laws here just like T did on on Down for the Count they had a go at this and they didn't make yeah they made just as much of a bad job of it this is awful I don't understand why why do bands insist on covering it it wasn't a good song originally this yeah. is a appalling song
3: okay and the album signs off with um with bad to be good which uh it's it's the only song on this album really that contains something resembling um a half decent guitar solo from cc deville who wasn't their first choice guitarist as as we all know it was slash wasn't it but slash didn't want to dress up as a girl so um deville got the gig i read a lovely um i read i read a I was reading, it wasn't to do with this, it was to do with Every Rose as It's Thorn, I was just reading the forum up, up on it at the bottom and they were talking about C.C. DeVille. And I've just got to read you this post. It's one of those posts where just the longer it goes on, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's gentle, but the longer it goes on, the more damning you know it's going to become. And it said of C.C. C. DeVille, I've never, I'm quoting this guy on this forum, I've never once ever at any stage of my entire life heard anyone, and I mean anyone, with any kind of musical ability, make anything even remotely close to a compliment or even backhanded praise of the most meagre kind regarding C.C. C. DeVille. <laughs> Which I just think it's lovely. It's just a torturous way of saying shit. shite. But anyway, that's a bit unfair. It, nice solo in this. Yeah, it's not a great song.
2: It's all right. It's all right. There's nothing wrong with this. It's okay. It signs the album out all right. It's not going to rip up trees, is it? But it's all right. <laughs> talk before Richard. Have you, if you haven't already checked it out, check out their performance at the MTV Awards. Have you seen that? No, it's not this song, but it's, I can't remember what song it is actually. But go and check it out. It's it talk about CC Deville. He can't play live, can I've he? I've seen it.
0: Well, yeah. not only
2: that, it's just a complete train. Yeah. yeah. Have you?
1: Yeah. He, play, he plays the wrong song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bit heavy, a bit rockier, decent finish. Like the percussion in it, tambourine. Another good sing-along, isn't it? So, yeah, not a bad way to finish the album.
3: Okay, cool. There you go. Open up and say R ah, by Poison, their second album, and our third and final album of this episode. Highs and lows. Who's going first?
2: Which should you go first? Come
3: on.
1: So the low, well, not surprisingly, "Mama Don't Dance," and the high, well, I've got several. No, I'd, I'd, I'll, gi- I'll give it
2: to "Love on the Run." Okay. Uh, well, I think we're all going to agree on the, the, the absolutely execrable piece of work on this album is "Mama," your "Mama Don't Dance," um, and for me,
3: "You Can Look But You Can't Touch," every day of the week. Yeah, that's on my short list of three with Love on the Rocks and Fallen Angel. I've just given it to Fallen Angel. Um, and yeah, as you say, we don't need to touch on Your Mama Don't Dance any more than we have to. So there you go, third and final album. Be fascinated to see how the scores shape up. And we're off to do that now. And then uh, we'll see where these three albums stack up in the Enter Sad Men Hall of Fame.
0: Reviews complete. Initializing rating process.
1: Right then, we have been through. All of these three albums on episode 35 of the Enter Sad Men podcast. We have now broken the thousand song barrier in songs we have listened to, tracks we've listened to throughout these 35 episodes. And the scores start with Cat Scratch Fever by Ted Nugent. How did we score it? Well, Steve gave it a 7.3, Mark a 7.05. And I gave it the lowest score of the three of us at a 6.9, but all pretty close. And that gave an overall score of 7.08 and a bit. Mark, what about Contagious?
2: Well, I have to say that my sun-drenched, windswept first experience of this album, notwithstanding, listening to it again some you know 35-odd years later, I feared for it, I have to say. But uh, my fears were... Slightly misplaced, I think, because uh, Steve gave it a 6.9. Uh, Richard, you gave it a 6.6. I obviously gave it a higher score than that. I, I think you can kind of pretty much put that down to the Venice Beach factor at 7.31 to give it an overall average album score of 6.93667. So, you yeah, know, not, it, I mean, there will be other wine albums that will be, will fare much, much better than that, I'm sure.
3: Steve, take us through, open up and say, ah. Oh. Mm, yeah, and I think there will be one Poison album, which you we may have alluded to earlier, which is probably going to do better than open up and say, ah, oh, as well. Mark, you gave it 6.89. Richard, you gave it 7.1. I gave it 7.2 for a grand total of 7.06333. 3, 3. So like Cat Scratch Fever, just creeps over the seven barrier, unlike Contagious um so there you go let's see where these three albums are going to find a place in the hall of fame
0: it's time to put the rock in a hard place opening the hall of fame so here we are in the hall of fame
3: um and as i said at the top of the show i would be very surprised if any of these three albums found their way into the top 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 because uh, yeah we're some way down the ladder with these babies um from this show in reverse order Y&T with Contagious at number 86. Remember, we're talking out of 105 now. Um, so Contagious in at 86. Um, a few places above it, uh, Poison open up to say R at 81. Ted Nugent Cat Scratch Fever with 79. What do you think, boys? What are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, I, I don't see I don't see any of these albums really being in the top hundred at the end of this process, whenever that is. They will be there for a little while, though, because I think, as we've found, it does take a while for, for this stuff to drop out, doesn't it? So, yeah, they're where I expected.
1: Yeah, desert places, I think, all considered when we were pretty close on our scores. Uh, so, despite the some disagreements in the individual tracks, I'll be fascinated to see how we all score, look what the cat dragged in, when that comes in.
2: But... There we are. That is episode 35, Done and Dusted, 105 albums in the Hall of Fame. Another three to come next time. Uh, We need to go off and decide what those three albums are. Uh, Thanks very much for your company. As always, hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And we'll see you next time.
0: All music clips featured in the Enter Sad Men podcast appear within the context of criticism and or commentary, and as such are used under the fair use provisions of the exceptions to copyright rules of UK and international copyright law. To make sure the rock rolls forever on, Mark, Steve, and Rich urge all their listeners to show their love and support for the artists and writers featured on the show by purchasing the original music or subscribing to a licensed and regulated streaming service.